Arrow Films is a leading independent entertainment distribution company established in 1991, operating in the UK, the Republic of Ireland, United States of America, and Canada. Arrow Films is dedicated to supporting upcoming and established filmmakers of dynamic new cinema and developing an inviolable slate of quality films that enjoy a lasting legacy across its award-winning branded labels, channels, and platforms. Arrow Films is also a leading restorer and theatrical distributor of classic and cult horror films, including landmark titles such as the 25th anniversary reissue of Cinema Paradiso, the 15th anniversary reissue of Donnie Darko, and the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser. These lovingly restored films are brought back into cinemas nationwide with brand new look campaigns with wide-reaching distribution, including outdoor event status screenings at various cultural festivals and as one-off bookings in local repertory cinemas and film societies. Arrow Films is also widely considered to be the global market leader in the premium home entertainment market fueled by passionate and expert curation aligned with state-of-the-art in-house film restoration, resulting in highly sought-after bespoke Blu-ray editions of classic cult and horror films across its Arrow Video and Arrow Academy branded labels. Beloved by collectors, these ever-expanding brands continue to delight their growing international fan base with regular interactive live events, festival sponsorship, and retail stands presence. Our offering extends to truly limited edition box sets, as well as associated spin-off products, now including books and vinyl records. We are so happy to have Arrow Video as one of our new sponsors. You can find them at www.aerofilms.com. While you're there, be sure to pick up some cool titles. For example, they have the brand new American Werewolf in London collection, which is beautiful. The complete Sartana collection, Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, Toys Are Not For Children, a new edition of Al Pacino's Cruising, and let's not forget a limited edition copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and a limited edition copy of RoboCop. There's so much more I can't even get into them all, but trust me when I say they're fantastic and we couldn't be happier to have them. So once again, visit Arrow Films at www.aerofilms.com and check out all of their brands from Arrow Video, Arrow Academy, Arrow Films, and Arrow TV. Hey, Nick. Yes? Do you like horror movies? Oh, you know I do. Do you like weird, extreme, taboo, and cult horror movies? Of course. They're my favorite kind. Well, I've got some news for you. Because MVD Entertainment Group and the popular Rue Morgue magazine have teamed up to launch the Midnight Movie Society. What? Yeah. They are a curated subscription video on demand service specializing in extreme underground, taboo, and cult horror movies. Now, genre fans can gain access to a film library of shocking underground, outrageous gore, creature features, cult classics, and much more. Those with a taste for the weirdest and wildest reaches of genre cinema will not be disappointed. The bigger platforms are catering to the masses and have gone puritanical in many cases, making it very difficult for filmmakers to reach their audiences, says Ed Seaman, COO of MVD Entertainment Group. MVD has a great deal of this type of content, and when it is live on major platforms, it performs really well. Maybe too well for some of the mainstream platforms. The Midnight Movie Society will also cater to more traditional horror fare as well, pulling from the thousands of film hours from in MVD's vast catalog. 
In addition, Rumorg will also be finding and curating fresh and unusual content for the service. Adriana Dober, Director of Programming, says as larger streaming platforms continue to crack down on content, there's an urgent need to create a space for boundary-pushing films unencumbered by strangling content restrictions. That I don't know why that word was so hard for me to say. <laughs> strangling. Strangling, especially given the content. As a lifelong horror fan, I'm proud and excited to be working with MVD Entertainment Group and genre champions Rumord Magazine to bring Midnight Movie Society to the masses. Rumord Magazine is a name that everyone can trust. It's actually a horror magazine I used to buy back in the day, and they're Canadian, so you know they're extra fucking weird. And nice. Yeah, and nice. Best of all, Midnight Movie Society is supplying all of our amazing listeners with an opportunity to get on board and try the service out for themselves. If you go to www midnightmoviesociety.com you can save 33% off your first three months of Midnight Movie Society by using the promo code SHAMELESS SHAMELESS! SHAMELESS! We have our own promo code! Yes, you heard me, you will save a whopping 33% on your first three months. That's just insanity to me. So, once again, go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS S-H-A-M-E-L-I-S-T no spaces. No spaces. All one word. Shameless. It's like you're yelling it at someone. Yell it at the promo code, but also make sure you type it in. How are you? Uh, good. How about you? I'm not. I have not been too bad. The weather's been very inconsistent here in Wisconsin. I'm sure you've heard. Oh um, yeah. I mean, it's been like that kind of here. <laughs> <laughs> in the sunshine state, it's been inconsistent. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the mornings start out uh, with fall weather, then it turns to summer, and then night it goes to winter. <laughs> what's winter in California? Like, what's a give me a degrees range? Uh, like low forties to mid fifties. I would kill for that. Because, <laughs> like, right now in in here it's uh, forty degrees. So, like, but for us, oh, like, uh, this is nice. Like, oh, I can take the dog outside without a jacket, type of thing. yeah. Yeah. Like our, my dogs don't have to wear sweaters when they go outside. Like it's like, ooh, 40 degrees. <laughs> and then it's supposed to get up to 50 and then we're all like praying yeah. for that. But like 50s in Wisconsin, as you remember, is like, oh, that's we're going to go out and do stuff with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I've gotten weak <laughs> from being here. I've I've noticed that as a trend with friends of mine who commuted to to live now live in in California is they yeah. all admit it that they've just gotten weak. You get used you get used to like paradise year round. Yeah, but you have earthquakes much. to deal with, so that kind of yeah, sucks. and and coronavirus. <laughs> well, technically, everyone has to worry about that right now. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. I'm already bummed. I was supposed to meet Sam Raimi, and he had to cancel because he's shooting Doctor Strange. Yeah, so he's actually confirmed to be doing yep. that. Yep, oh, he nice. he had to cancel two convention appearances because he's in London. Okay, and That's I was cool. like, "Damn, I thought I could like get him before he goes and do that because like yeah. now he's probably not going to do a lot of these." Con- well, he might still. He's he has he seems like a pretty down to earth guy, but it's like, oh, yeah. there goes my chance to meet Sam Raimi before he became a big deal again. And then how did Sam Raimi get that job? Like, yeah, when last film he did like directing was that Oz movie, which I liked because it's a it's a great Sam Raimi movie. It was it was perfectly fine. It was uh, it was a perfectly good Sam Raimi movie. <laughs> if anyone else would have made that movie, I probably would have hated yeah. it. Yeah, but, but I mean, even that came out like what, like seven years ago, eight years ago, or something like that. Yeah, and it's like, like it's, been, it's been a long time. How was he campaigning to get Doctor Strange? Like, like how, I just want to know how this came to be because you know, yeah. like if this would have happened 
in the early 2000s, like, sure, I could see that. If they, I, the only thing I can think of is if they are going for a slight horror vibe with the movie, like they said initially, uh, he he might be a better fit for like the Marvel formula than like Scott Derrickson, who I think is more of a traditional horror where Sam Raimi's like Sam Raimi can still ho- make something fun. Yeah, like horror comedy is like kind of his thing, so that that kind of might be a better fit. Yeah, because, like, you know, you look at Army of Darkness, and I think that's, like, a perfect blend of the two worlds. Yeah, like, totally, Army of Darkness is probably more what they're going for. But I'd be super Whatever, cool. I was I'd... bummed to hear Scott Derrickson left, but if we're getting a new Sam Raimi movie, that's awesome. Yeah, like, I would have been happy to Sam Raimi doing anything. Yeah. But Sam Raimi with money, I think, could be kind of dangerous, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also a small part of me that's like, let's hope this is a terrible ex- like the movie comes out good, but let's hope this is a terrible experience for him so he'll want to go back and make another drag me to hell or something a little bit more yeah, down something to smaller. Cuz like, yeah. I I feel like one more bad project and we're getting something weird from Peter Jackson. I I'm yeah. feeling it. Like we're one or two bad projects away from getting something weird again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um but yeah, if there's nothing else you want to talk about, we can kind of get onto the topic itself. Yeah, we we can get. I, I rewatched the movie again last night. You've seen it now more times in the week than than one week than I've probably seen it ever. Yeah, uh, and I still don't quite know what's going on in the movie. All right, well let me do my let me do my intro. I didn't write an intro for it because I have the back of the okay. box, so I'm just gonna read theirs and then we can talk about oh, it nice. properly. So. discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me today is a very special guest, my original podcast co-host, back from the No Homers Podcast Day, Nico Aldrich. Is it Aldrich or Aldrich? Aldrich. I've said it interchangeably, and I didn't know which one was the proper way to go. Aldrich. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'll answer to both. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't remember because no one remembers the No Homers podcast, uh, we had this grand idea of wanting to do a Simpsons podcast because other than myself, Nico is the biggest Simpsons fan I know. And we we didn't want to do it like everyone else. And by everyone else is like one other podcast that decided just to watch the, the Simpsons from the beginning, which I wish we would have done because we probably would have lasted a little bit longer. Instead, we decided well, every week, let's, th- let's pick a theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and it didn't work out too well. <laughs> no, got four episodes <laughs> and one Patreon patron. Yeah, God, God bless that Patreon patron. He's now my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's, That's awesome. It worked out for him. I, I never actually knew that. Uh, it was only a dollar, so it's like he, he, that was his buy-in <laughs> for yeah. the, oh, yeah. okay. the show became. Um, he bribed you. He bribed you for this. It kind of yeah, <laughs> and I was like, you know, he believed in me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. Uh, but um, on today's episode, uh, because we're going to be talking about a film that Nico specifically wanted to talk about, because not only is he 
or are you talking about you as if you're not here uh, a big simpsons fan he's also the one of the only other people i know in my life who loves slasher films as much as i do good or bad they're just kind of all just special and yep. um today we are talking about the movie edge of the axe so uh, i'm gonna read the back of the box because uh nico actually very nicely bought me the super special edition arrow copy of this disc so I'm going to read the back of the box, and then we'll talk a little bit about why uh, you've been annoying me so much to talk about this movie. <laughs> Can't so, wait. <laughs> Edge of the Axe. Back of the box says, from cult Spanish filmmaker Jose Ramon Loraz. Loraz? I'm going to go for Loraz. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Who directed Vampires and Symptoms comes this long-neglected late 80s slasher classic, finally unleashed on Blu-ray for the first time ever. The rural community of Paddock County is being rocked by the craze exploits of an axe-wielding psychopath who stalks the knight in a black trench coat and mask. As the victims pile up, the authorities attempt to keep a lid on the situation, whilst computer whiz kid Gerald and girlfriend Lillian seek to unmask the killer before the town population reaches zero. Nominally set in Northern California, but shot primarily in Madrid, giving the film an off-kilter transatlantic atmosphere akin to the likes of Pieces, Edge of the Axe is a late-entry hack-and-slash masterpiece from one of the titans of Spanish terror. Six women, one man, all dead. Edge of the Axe. Gerald's a cool kid with a keen computer. Now that he's met Lillian, the lines of communication are definitely open. It's called Icarus. You can ask it anything you like. But the readout spells trouble. Wait a minute, what happened here? And murder is the mode. What shape is that body? Hamburger meat. A killer is loose, and the whole town's on edge. Edge of the axe. Gerald, why do you have the names of all the women who were killed in your computer file? Oh, she's coming this way. Bodacious titans. <laughs> Roderick, you have a little something going on with Rita? Rita had your name and number in her phone book. <laughs> kind of worried a little bit about it. We found another body this morning. There's some maniac. He's running around chopping women up. Laura's <laughs> disappeared. What do you mean? She's gone. Who's <laughs> Charlie? He's my cousin. The other night I asked my computer to check the hospitals find my cousin and they released him from a mental hospital two years ago in patterson you're spending too much time with this girl on those stupid games that you play you know you're gonna get in trouble and you're gonna have microchips for brains almost all the women who had been killed they'd worked in a psychiatric ward christopher the situation is terminal can lillian deprogram the killer before he catches his next victim Two more, Doc. I tell you, this place stinks of death. The other night I had a dream, and Charlie was walking towards me smiling. 
tired of that thing to ask. It was going to kill me. Charlie, is that you? Edge of the Axe. It's a great night for bad dreams. So, you really were excited to talk about this movie. And I wouldn't—I should state, it was not that I wasn't excited about it. I just, <laughs> I feel like Edge of the Axe was a movie. It's like, have you seen Edge of the Axe? No? Cool. And then you just kind of like, <laughs> most people just move on. Like, yeah. uh, you, you, have, you have definitely been the, person, the only person I've met in my life who has been this outrageously excited for Edge of the Axe. So talk to me a little bit about that. Um, I put yeah, you on the spot. I mean, okay, so admittedly, my first time seeing this was uh, at the New Beverly for the All Night Horror Marathon uh, back in October. Uh, so I had known nothing about it before I went in. Um, and so I, I probably saw it in the best of circumstances, like 35 millimeter with a crowd of, you know, the most insane horror fans at, you know, Quentin Tarantino's theater. It's just like, it's a great atmosphere to see a movie like this. Um, but I, I think overall it has like a great atmosphere. Um, some of the kills are really brutal. Um, oh, that that first kill alone is enough to like just want to keep you watching. Yeah, uh, it's it shot really well. Like, and w- one thing I've said about the arrow transfers, it, it looks incredible. It's like one of the best looking Blu-ray releases I've seen of like a movie like this, especially one uh, this old. Uh, it, it just looks gorgeous. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't show us age at all. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it just has a such an interesting atmosphere. Uh, there, there's some. We'll get more into some other elements to the movie that I find interesting, but it, it almost kind of goes into like sleepaway camp territory for me, just a little bit. Um, and I think that's also another reason why I find it interesting, um, especially as we get towards the end. It kind of feels sleepaway camp ish. Although not as not as memorable as that one. You've mentioned this before to me, and I've been, and I purposely have tried not to pick your brain as to why you think that, so that way we can talk about it on the show. And I've been trying to think about like mm-hmm. the sleepaway camp elements and or what you see as a commonality amongst the two. And I'll be completely honest, I'm not seeing it, uh, which okay. is which is why I'm excited to talk to you about it because you know if. Um, you know, I, my sleepaway camp is not where my brain went for this. My brain went for other, you know, Spanish horror films. Because, like, while this film's got a goofy tone, it still doesn't feel yeah. like sleepaway camp. Um, so I, I, I don't think the whole movie does. It's more the, the ending has kind of sleepaway camp vibes to me. In terms of tone or in terms of what? Uh, the reveal of, like, the killer is kind of like a similar feeling. Oh, that ending. Feeling. That yeah. ending, I thought, was... The ending shot, even, is kind of similar. I think, oh, okay, I see it now. I see it now. I was thinking, like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I guess, a little more on the nose. Um, I will say, like, I'm a pretty forgiving slasher movie fan. Yeah. Like, I've been, <laughs> there's some movies, like, there's been some slasher films I've watched where, like, I, I, I've barely been able to pay attention. I couldn't tell you what the movie's about, but I'm still like, oh, it was, it was fine. Like, just because it's a slasher yeah. film. Um, this film is... I'm not going to say a perfect film by any means, but it's got the perfect, it's got the perfect bookends where it's got a phenomenal first scene set up. Yeah. And it's got a phenomenal ending. The middle. The the (laughs) bread's great. The sandwich contents are a little rough. Yeah. It's all over the place in there. Yeah. I I 100% agree. It's, (laughs) 
Well, the, the kills in the middle of the movie are all, you know, they're, they're well executed. They're great tension, uh, beautifully shot. And actually, like, the set design, too, is it has... I found it really interesting. Everything yeah. looks really cool. I would have never guessed that the film was shot so primarily in Madrid because like the, the location shots we did see all felt like Northern California. And the thing that yeah. I liked so much about the film is it just has a very unique feel to it. Everything mm-hmm. from the lead character, what is his name, Gerald? His yeah. his uh, his weird little cabin, the, his yeah. weird futuristic cabin that we're, that we're supposed to believe belongs to this old guy who just... Is, yeah. seems to be really out of it um when their relationship alone is pretty funny because i thought they were related at first and they don't like i can't tell if they like each other and that just adds it, to it it took me a few viewings to understand that they weren't <laughs> you know yo rock i'm leaving listen to this yesterday afternoon in patterson a woman was murdered sliced to pieces as she went through the tunnel of the car wash how awful Listen, I'm taking off with Richard. Uh, we'll grab a bite to eat on the way. Turn off those confounded machines that you always have on. Oh, yeah, if Mr. Broderick comes by, give him the radio and charge him 24 bucks. Hey, how do you like it? I hate it. So, why'd you buy it for me? Look, I didn't buy you anything. For every $200 that you spend at the May Company, they give you one of those attractive freebies. Yeah. And then the relationship between uh, Gerald and what, what's his buddy's name? Richard, I think? Uh, yeah, Richard. Um, I, I was watching it. It's like, you know, th- this is a trend that you sometimes get in slasher films where, like, oh, none of the characters are likable. But since there's so few characters. Yeah. The fact that, like, oh, I don't like Gerald, and I don't really like Richard, but I think I like Richard more than Gerald, even though he's actively talking about cheating on his wife and marrying her just for the money. But Gerald's yeah. just such a snarky asshole, and he's supposed yeah. to be the lead character. Uh, it's 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 weird that I've never been that, like, rooting against the lead character type of person, but, like, yeah. I was really rooting against Gerald, or better yet, trying to find, like, make me like this character and it's such a weird feeling going into this film and just the way that this plays out because they also don't seem like they should be friends gerald is you know the the kind of the snotty bookworm type who knows he's the smartest person in the room or at least thinks he is and richard's very much the jock who you know became an exterminator and they're somehow like friends i can't quite tell if they if they work together or if they just hang out together while gerald's killing stuff nice move what that's all you have to do is wreck your wife's car. Imagine what she's going to have to say. Oh, well, it's always the same thing. Bitch, bitch, bitch. Every time we go out, I feel like a kid with his mother. Tell me, how much older than you is she? Too much. Why I ever married her? I mean, she wasn't too fat or too thin or too short or too tall. Just too old. And say that again. She was just too old. <laughs> no, the beauty of Laura was in her bank accounts and her stocks. And once I got my greedy little hands on those, I was hooked. So she bought you a pickup truck so you could chase after cockroaches and fumigate rats. One of these days, I'm going to fumigate her. It could only help. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's that's kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I completely agree. It's I don't quite understand what their relationship dynamic is or how it works, but it 
because it's so weird, it works. Uh, yeah. There's an element to it that I find to be like a little bit queer. Do tell, do tell. I'm not a, a, a queer individual, so I, I, of course, don't see things through that lens. But I remember you were telling me, you were kind of, you told me you're gravitating towards some of the queer elements of this film. So I am very intrigued by that perspective. Uh, well, the, the, I mean, as we get more into the end, the whole idea of Lillian versus Charlie kind of, I think that's a, a very, a more overtly queer element. But even even uh, Gerald and uh, Richard, their dynamic at times when they're talking feels almost romantic. Uh, the There's also Richard with his, uh, this, this obviously isn't overtly queer because it's still like a uh, opposite sex couple, but even him and having like a, a wife who's like radically different in age, there's just like a lot of dynamics of just like unconventional relationships in here that as, as a whole, I kind of find it uh, huh. uh, kind of queer. And you might be hearing my cat meowing. That's all right. Usually in the show, they normally hear my dog walking around. So that's fine. Okay. <laughs> or three, three dogs walking around. That, that's interesting. Like I, uh, it, that was not an element that I was thinking of, but like I said, it's not really where my mind, where my mind goes. It, it's not like, it's not, in my mind, it's not like a heavy, like very overtly queer theme thing. Like I, I, I wouldn't die on this hill. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I also found interesting. So while I was just talking about how unlikable all the characters were, they're unlikable in terms of their writing, but in terms of their performance, most of like I felt internally battling myself whether or not I should like these people because they're written or and it could just be the fact that the the script's translated from from Spanish to English but yeah. I was fighting constantly where like Barton Fox who plays Gerald everything he's saying it comes off very shitty and kind of annoying yeah but I constantly find myself it's like oh he seems like he'd be likable if he was saying different words yeah and i found this he seems very charismatic yeah oh yeah and i felt the same thing about richard too it's like oh i see why this other woman is swooning over him he seems like a pretty nice guy even his wife who he doesn't like they all like are very genuine and interesting they just kind of feel stunted by this awkward script which is part of the fun for this film is because it does feel so awkward yeah uh i I love the cast Mm -hmm. i think I think it's kind of a bummer as I look them up. They haven't really done anything aside from this. No, I think Barton uh, Fox teaches now. Yeah, which there's nothing wrong with that. No, uh, I, no. I just mean to see them more on screen because they all do have like a, a certain screen presence that I think, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to see them in some more stuff. Uh, I'm looking at Paige uh, Mosley, who's who plays Richard, and he's done mostly just TV after that, but he hasn't... Uh, been in anything since 1996 yeah and then or even like uh, christina marie lane who plays lily and she was so good in this movie and she also had yeah. just one of those faces where it's like i swore i saw her in something else but this yeah. according to imdb which is not always the most accurate but it's the most accurate thing we have to go off of she's done nothing this was her single and only film yeah it's it's a it's a bummer with um how and the whole cast has pretty pretty great chemistry. I, I think that also is what in my mind keeps this movie above a lot of the other generic slashers of the time. So, I mean, this came out very late in the eighties. So we were kind of transitioning into the nineties at this point. The chemistry is actually what I find so appealing about this. film. it's not just the way it's shot. It's all that other stuff. The chemistry is what I find so appealing because it, the chemistry is what reminds me so much of it being a Friday the 13th almost. 
where yeah, the thing that so. works for most of the Friday the 13th films for me is the fact that you hear stories all the time that majority of the cast in Friday the 13th are living together at those at that camp. Yeah. And they spend a lot of time together at this camp, you know, spending their summers doing this and they they grow to really like each other and that chemistry comes off screen. It feels very much like that in this film, where it feels everyone's very comfortable around each other. There is a little bit of a disconnect between, say, the younger cast and the older cast. Some of the older cast or the people who uh, were brought, who were natively from Madrid, they feel a little bit more detached. But like the younger cast all feels like they spent a lot of time with each other. And I think that's why I like them so much, even though my brain keeps telling me that, you know, Gerald's kind of a terrible boyfriend and Richard's cheating on his wife. But damn, are they likable. So I actually just realized this was shot in California, despite it being a Spanish production. So it was shot. okay, because it was shot in uh, Big Bear Lake, uh, which makes a lot of sense. That's I I do know they shot a lot of interiors in Madrid. I I watched some of the the special features and they they talk about that. Like uh, the exteriors were shot in. uh, Yeah, exterior scenes were filmed in Big Bear. And and then the uh, the the car wash scene at the beginning was all entirely Madrid. Except for the exterior of the car wash. Oh, really? which I am, I'm trying to look up that car wash because I am pretty sure that every time I drive to the New Beverly, I drive past that car wash. You're gonna have to take a picture there's, of it. There's one that, there's one that looks identical to it, and I'm like, is that it? And every time I watch the movie, I keep like remembering to look it up, and I am going there today, so I will have to remember to check that out. Please do take a picture of it so we can post it on the Instagram page <laughs> that I've not been yeah. paying a lot of attention to lately. <laughs> I mean, it might look a little different. It's like 30 years later. So. Oh, that's that's that doesn't matter. So when it comes to a slash, actually, real quick, before I talk about that, I was going to say, yeah. wh- which version did you watch? Did you watch it in English or did you watch it in Spanish? I watched it in English. That's what I did, too, because I, 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 I've got a personal rule when it comes to dubbed films that whatever whatever native language, whatever language is native to the lead character that they speak fluently yeah. Is the language that I'm going to watch because it usually means they've done their own dubs. Yeah. Um, so I was just curious if, if if anyone else is the same way. I know a lot of people online and on uh, a horror page I follow called Shockwaves. They're all saying that you should watch it in the Spanish format. But the only reason I didn't do that is because I thought, well, then no one's native. That's not. That's every everyone's completely dubbed. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So, so shockwaves do they like prefer that version or um, well this is just the form like their their facebook group page where people oh, are okay. the fans of the podcast are listening to it um i only i think i'm the only at the time that i posted i was the only one who chose to watch it in english <laughs> um yeah I, I think i just did that because uh, when we saw it at the new bev uh it, it, it was english so I, I just kind of assumed that was the go-to version yeah um, because obviously when I saw it there, I, I didn't really know much about like it, the Spanish production side of it. Yeah. So with with slasher films, because like I said, me and you are both fans of it. We did we did an episode very much like this on season one of the podcast where we talked about Slaughter High. Um, yep. And the thing that I find so interesting about horror films and slasher films is that mm-hmm. so many people I feel like who don't like horror films think that all horror films are slasher films. Yeah. 
you know, they think that they're all, you know, guy in a mask chasing someone down with a knife. And that, there's a lot of that. Um, but what I find so interesting about slasher films is that even slasher films don't all seem to follow the same beats. Like, because this one feels, say, very, vastly different from a Halloween. And Halloween feels vastly different from a Nightmare on Elm Street, which not, I don't care what anyone says Nightmare on Elm Street is a slasher film. Um, no, yeah, definitely. Um, what do you respond to? with slasher films we might have talked about this a little bit in slaughter high but um like what gets you i i kind of have some thoughts of my own about this but I, I don't think this is a topic we've really ever talked about yeah and you know for liking slasher so much uh it's actually something i haven't really thought much about about you know why it is i like them um i i think there is a formula to slashers that uh, i think is pretty consistent among all mm-hmm. the franchises, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, um, that it, it, I guess it almost is like a comfort food type of thing. Yeah. Where it, it's like you, you're, you're kind of, <laughs> it sounds weird because you're watching people get murdered, but you're like, I'm just gonna like go to my happy place. <laughs> no, it, it's the same way for me too. Like uh, on a, on a bad day, that's usually what I want to go watch because it's, you know, the better ones are well shot. Um, yeah. Uh, and they're they're comforting. I don't have to put a whole lot of thought into it, but some of them have mm-hmm. a decent story. I hear a lot of arguments from people like, "Oh, they're not scary," which to me, I, I most movies I don't find scary, and that's I I don't think a movie needs to be scary for it to be a horror movie. But I, I think the appeal of slashers is that there's like a certain camp element to a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, and it almost becomes fun to like laugh at it, and especially if you're like going through like a tough time or something uh especially when i was like younger and like uh there's almost like a comfort in like being able to see laugh at this horror and also like overcome it and i I think that might be why for a lot of people slashers are uh appealing yeah i also one thing i like like i i feel like one element that i always respond to is something that a lot of the like the neo slashers don't really accomplish very well is like you were saying before there's a camp element there but there's also an earnestness to it mm-hmm. um nothing nothing f- like when there is humor or there's something goofy or you know the whole subplot in edge of the axe about you know computer dating before that was the thing none of that feels like it's added in there to be anything but sincere like yeah. when they were writing it they thought this was a good idea and it just whether it be through writing or through execution it wasn't done very well and i feel like earnestness is what a lot of slasher films struggle with a yeah. lot of newer slasher films struggle with um because those are the couple things i'm looking for yes you know cool kills well shot interesting music it doesn't have to be necessarily good music just interesting music this, the score in this was good though. oh it um, really it, was especially um, like the killer they have like that drum beat going on mm-hmm. whenever he could show up those are all things i look for but those are all things i look for in every film well not every film i'm not looking for good kills and i watch mermaids but you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh, what i another thing i look for is i look for interesting aesthetics because i'm i've talked about it a little bit on this show despite the fact that it's not really a horror podcast but i try to bring it up when i can uh i'm a big fan of regional cinema you know small little down and dirty type films that were made yeah by locally by local crews and while this doesn't necessarily fall into that um it, do, it does have a lot of the aesthetics that you sometimes get from a regional cinema piece. 
um, you know, for example, Evil Dead, I say count as a regional, uh, regional film, or yeah, um, definitely. Um, Blood Harvest that was shot here in Wisconsin because it's made by Bill Rebane, who is from Wisconsin. He used all Wisconsin locations, tried to use as much Wisconsin crew, Wisconsin actors as he can, and it's just, you know, you get to see the world through these filmmakers' eyes in a place that they're comfortable with. And that's actually one thing, an aesthetic that I look for in a lot of slashers. Like, the, the ones that I really respond to say something like My Bloody Valentine is also a regional horror film. It's a film that feels very much of its location. It feels very Canadian because it's shot in Canada. It's using Canadian actors. It, it feels truthful. It doesn't feel like they're manufacturing this feel. Uh, Graduation Day is another yep. one where it feels very truthful to itself. Um, and while Edge of the Axe doesn't really fall into the regional cinema trend that I like, it feels very truthful to itself in terms of how it presents these locations. Um, I, I love a movie where they're not necessarily looking for the best location. and It's just they use what they can and they use it well. Yeah. And I think that's how we get some of the uniquenesses of this movie. Like his weird little octagon or whatever shaped house I don't yeah. feel like that was necessarily a place they're looking for, but they had it available. Mm-hmm. So, the, was a little the bit movie, of a tangent. The, the whole aesthetic of the movie, I think, feels... It's almost like uh, Twin Peaks uh, meets Friday the 13th with like a kind of European aesthetic to all of it. Um, it it's unique, but definitely this, I don't... I can think of very few things that are even remotely similar to the, the vibe I get from this film. Oh, I got the same um, Twin, yeah, Twin Peaks. Vibe. It does feel almost like a precursor. Yeah, it feels like a precursor to Twin Peaks in a lot of ways because uh, this did predate it by like about five or six years, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, you can take any shots from this movie because there's a lot of... I love meandering shots in a movie when they're just kind of, you know, showing aesthetics of a location. You can just throw yeah. Angelo Bedalamenti's score over a lot of this film and yeah. it wouldn't feel false at all. Yeah, if it weren't for the the weird like cheesy nineteen eighty sitcom music playing over the opening credits, it uh, you could just put on like Twin Peaks score and it would feel like you're just watching Twin Peaks. Yeah, because honestly, if you if you were to add the music from this movie over Twin Peaks, it would severely hurt Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> as much yeah. as I like the music in this movie, yeah. Twin Peaks worked because it it felt like TV plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the difference I would make with with this film. Uh, The score and soundtrack. The the score, I think, is really good in here. The soundtrack, I think, maybe kind of works against the movie a bit. I agree. I agree with that. I I didn't watch the movie as recently as you did, so I'm recalling some of it. Um, But yeah, I just remember some of the needle drops in this movie, or at least songs that I took to be needle drops were like Mm -hmm. very kind of off-putting because of yeah. how nice the score was. And this is definitely a case... Uh, and this is one thing I actually like about foreign horror films quite a bit, that you don't get out of a lot of American low-budget horror films. Foreign horror, low-budget horror films, it feels like there's really competent people making this film. And while the movie they know is not going to be very good, they're all bringing their A-game to it, which is the reason why the music is so good and it's shot so well. And everything about everything that goes into making the film is done very well. Whereas yeah. I feel like in the United States, if if there's you know, probably a lot of cinematographers, like, yeah, this movie's not worth my time. I'm not going to try. But Tote Trenes, who shot this mm-hmm. film, he shot the fuck out of this film. 
Like yeah. every murder set piece, and that comes down to hit, to him shooting and the direction of it. Um, not only were the kills all really brutal and graphic, but they all had a really interesting setup as well. Like yeah. almost like a house of cards coming down. Yeah, I, uh, I, one thing I, I want to bring up too is the look of the killer. It's uh, especially near the tail end of a decade filled with uh, endless slashers. It, it was a very unique looking killer that I, I think was really effective. It's so simple. Like, yeah, it's creepy. Uh, the, I mean, there's the shot. It's on the, the original cover, I believe. Uh, yeah. Which turns on the light, and you you see him at the doorway. Like it's it's a it's a striking image, and th- there's there's a few images like that in this movie that's just like give me goosebumps. It's like it's so well done. Yeah, like a lot of not the st- all the movies consistently well done. But. Yeah, like a lot of the stalkings. <laughs> all the horror in this movie is extremely well done. It's everything. Yeah. It's all the non-horror aspects, which are uh, the fun and games aspect of it, which is what I like. Mm-hmm. What I come to slasher films for. It's not just the kills. It's not just the atmosphere. I come to like these characters and want to spend some time with them. I think the be- very yeah. best slasher films are ones that you're having a good time watching, uh, not even just the horror elements, because all the horror elements are done very well. It almost just feels like someone else is directing everything else, because yeah. all those horror elements are just so incredibly well done. Yeah, but but then I, I think the the character interactions and the more comedic non horror elements uh, are kind of what give the movie its charm too. Even though I think it's considerably weaker. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know how you really fix that issue because it's not like the other thing doesn't work. Yeah. At least for me personally. Yeah, actually, even in some of it, oh. I'd go so far as to say some of it almost feels like a case of like they took the horror elements out of a well-made movie and then added different footage in. Like it almost feels like mm-hmm. very like if they didn't all come together in the end, like you could almost make that argument. <laughs> yeah. Because like even just the way that they shoot the horror elements feels far more for lack of a better term European than yeah. a lot of the other stuff which does not always have the artfulness that our other parts of the film has. Um, Can we talk about Rita? Of course. Her death, brutal, horrific, and really well done. Uh, Actually, I kind of had to laugh because when when the killer was following her, like walking fast, and she was... Wait, wait, real quick. Was Rita the prostitute? Yes, okay. uh, her description on Wikipedia says a uh, local beautician and prostitute. So she, you know, that's uh, that's quite a <laughs> description you know, there. You got to have a side uh, hustle. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, that, that scene of her death is is amazingly well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's horrifying. And then it just cuts to the the cops and the the uh, sheriff just being like, "Oh yeah, she she was she was quite a whore. Did you sleep with her?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I kind of forgot about that." Yes. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, it just like we transported to a different movie, and it was like we were almost like at like the spoof version as they're like literally wheeling her corpse out. They're like talking about how good she was. Uh, and yeah. It's just like, what is happening? <laughs> and then like, cause like that really like was was kind of turned me off of the movie a little bit. Um, but then, like, I, I also appreciate, like, the, while the cops the cops in these movies are usually thrown in just to be comic relief of some sort, I weirdly appreciate that the 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 police chief was actually trying to solve the murder. Like, I appreciate movies yeah. like this when someone's actually doing something to figure out what's going on. It doesn't just show up at the scenes and be like, hmm, 
I wonder who it was. <laughs> like that's cause that's usually what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like as much as I love Halloween, that was most of Doctor Loomis's job. It was he wasn't he they weren't they had one scene of them driving around, but it was really like I wonder where he's going next, and it's just. Yeah. You know, like I appreciate that. Like he's he's interviewing people. He was, you know, go who has Rita been with recently? And he went and talked to that guy who was building furniture, who also felt <laughs> who a lot like a, had the the hammer. The who whole also, time. yeah, who also felt like a Twin Peaks character. <laughs> yeah, he really did. He felt like uh, uh, like what is the guy named Big Al or something who who runs yeah. the, the gas the, the gas station? He just felt like that guy. Um, yeah, he with, with in Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I, I, I appreciated that. I, I also want to talk about, uh, God, what was her name? Um, the lead love interest. Uh, the lead female. Are you talking about Lillian? Yeah, Lillian, or, yes. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Lil- um, yeah. Lillian's an interesting character because, like I said, she was the, I think, the best character in the movie. Yeah. Where she's sweet. She's, she's interesting. She's um, funny. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't really come across as a damsel, which I also appreciate too. Oh yeah, not at all. Um, like she seems really, really strong headed. The right word, I don't know if, what the word I'm looking for, but she had a good head on her shoulders, and mm-hmm. and I thought she was an interesting foil, I guess, to to Gerald because she made Gerald more interesting. Yeah, uh, because she was like, I love that scene where he's, you know, mansplaining computers to her. And then she shows that while she doesn't know as much as he does, she knows a lot more than he would have given her credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I appreciated that. Yeah, her. Uh, her character arc. <laughs> we need to talk about that a little bit. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. What happened? <laughs> I've seen this movie a few times, and I still don't quite understand what happened. And maybe I'm just like, that middle section just kind of made me check out a little bit, and then I forget certain details. I know, it's movie's kind of like a fever dream. Well, yeah, even like I, where, where I, when I watched it afterwards, it's like, what the fuck happened in the middle? <laughs> yeah, every single time I watch it, it's at the exact same point where all of a sudden I start to check out, and then at the end I'm brought right back in. What Which part uh, do you check out at? It's always right after Rita dies. <laughs> yeah. I, I check out there, and then I come back during uh, a few of the kills, and then I check back out again. Funny enough, I thought the movie skipped itself at one point because uh, you get yeah. that you get that woman who has the pig farm, and you see you see her earlier in the yeah. film, and you get the exact same shot later on in the film of her investigating the same her same pig pen when she's got the yeah. gun. And I was like, wait, didn't I saw this already, didn't I? Yeah, when I rewatched it, I thought like I like skipped to like a different scene or something. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what happened? And then um, like, you know, they they tease her dying and she doesn't die in that first scene and then she dies later yeah. on. Yeah, uh the entire time I watched that scene too, I think of the uh uh Friday the 13th uh part 5, the uh older woman and her son who live kind of away from Pack and Funny enough, I think of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three with okay. the the store owner. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. That was yeah. That was Part Three where you know, I love that guy. Where he just he's constantly eating ev- everything in his own store, and his wife just kind of like yells at him. <laughs> um, they, they, I loved that duo, and that's kind of the vibe I was getting. Is and but you also make sense with uh, with Part Five as well. Like they're. they're those three characters are essentially this. They all say serve the same purpose. They are yeah. there to. Uh, I'm going to quote Edgar Wright here to add some spooky doings. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to they, they're not important to the story. So that way, if something bad happens to them, no one really cares. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've I've written slasher films and I've written characters like that just for that reason, because it's a way yeah. to pop the audience. Yeah. So was was it supposed to be for sure that Gerald was the killer the whole time? He was killing people on behalf of I have a Lillian slash Charlie. I do have a story about that. Okay. Did you watch any of the special features? I did not. You watched I the did. movie four like fifteen uh, times. You never watched. The yeah, seventy two times I watched the film. <laughs> Don't understand it. I I'm so I'm so intrigued by this film that I want to watch both commentaries. Well, there's one of Barton Fox, uh, who's moderating with a filmmaker that he taught. And then uh, a podcast called The Hysteria Continues, and I'm always a little jealous. They're they're a slasher podcast, and they get to do all of these 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 special features. When's someone going to call the Shameless Picture Show and have us do a commentary? Yeah. Come on, guys! Yeah, but do it. <laughs> there's a um, uh, it's called Gerald's Game. It's an interview with actor Barton Fox, and he talks about that because even he says I'm confused in the end who's the who the killer is because he said the the director Jose he was intent they're kind of doing what sleepaway camp did and was trying to confuse people so he said there's shots in the movie where i'm the killer there i'm dressed as the killer so it's my body shape there's shots in the movie where it's a stuntman and there's shots in the movie where it's a female wearing the yeah. suit the scene i think don't quote me on this you have to listen to the interview for sure i believe it's the scene when um richard's wife is being killed or when you know when he comes in swinging the axe and everything, and was like attacking the wall and shit. Mm-hmm. You remember what scene I'm talking about? I think that yeah, was Richard's yeah. wife. It was the it was the elderly woman, or, mm-hmm. which she didn't even look that old. So I would say that very loosely. Um, <laughs> yeah. That I believe he said there was a there was a woman under the under the mask and jacket in that scene. That makes some sense. Yeah. So like even like because they did that in Sleepaway Camp. Spoiler for anyone who has not seen Sleepaway Camp yet. Yeah, I, I'm trying to to, to I'm, tread like, lightly with that because that, that that twist really anyone. Who hasn't well, I'm seen not. It. I guess I won't t- spoil the twist. I'll try. I'll try to s- describe this in a way that's that you'll understand without saying it. They the you only ever see it because of Blu-ray and the the advances of Blu-ray. But like in the, when the, you saw the silhouettes of the killer. Mm-hmm. they intentionally put a different character in that scene to throw you. Yeah. Uh, a movie I, I just recently uh, saw in 35 millimeter uh, last weekend was uh, cruising and they did a similar thing where every scene you see the killer, it's a different actor playing the killer. Um, but that, that one, you see yeah. quite a bit more of, of the killer, like the killer's talking and everything. And like they, they dub over every actor with the same voice, but it's very clearly like there's times where it's like very clearly someone you saw get killed earlier in the movie playing the killer. And so it's like, it's kind of a mind fuck. I, uh, I, lo- I love situations like that because it's, it's either, uh, I, I love that it's either the director trying to intentionally confuse the audience or mm-hmm. more realistically in, in the case of this film, the director didn't know what he wanted yeah (laughs) just or even better sometimes you get in low budget films they couldn't get the same person back every single time to pee in the suit yeah i've I've read stories of that happening in the past too and it's like oh we just kind of had to throw someone in the original halloween nick castle played michael myers through a good chunk of the film but there's scenes where he didn't because he didn't he couldn't because he wasn't on set that day so whoever could fit in the suit yeah put it on it's interesting 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so the killer in here, I figure it can either be Gerald who's killing on behalf of Lillian or Lillian who has gone crazy and is killing, uh, for what happened to her at the, the hospital. But was Lillian ever actually Charlie? Because th- this is this is where I get into sleepaway camp territory. Where I'm like, is, is this someone where she made up someone who didn't really exist, or was she Charlie? Was Charlie a boy? Was Charlie a girl? What's going on with this character? Yeah, because what's described is is wild. Yeah, because like I, the way that I read the film was that Charlie never existed. Charlie oh, okay. is a figment of her imagination or a, a separate personality. Um, for those of you listening who have not watched the movie, I don't know why you're listening, but, uh, earlier in the film, Lillian tells the story about, uh, was it her cousin, her her brother? Uh, I saw the Wikipedia, but I think it was her cousin. Her cousin, Charlie. Yeah, her cousin, Charlie, was released from the mental hospital. Yes. Uh, from a head injury that, oh yeah, because the story goes that she was pushing him on a swing, uh, or, um, Someone was pushing each other on the swing. I don't remember how she sets it up. And essentially the swing comes back and fucking fucks his head. Yeah, I'm reading. Lillian confides in Gerald that she had recently discovered her cousin Charlie was released from a mental hospital. He, so they use male pronouns, was admitted to years earlier uh, following a head injury caused when she pushed him from a swing set. She suspects Charlie may be responsible for the killings. And that's so funny, too, because... It's out of nowhere. They they talk about it when they're uh, actually on a swing set. Um, they they talk. And that's when she first brings it up, yeah. <laughs> and then she just starts like, "It has to be Charlie." And then like the reason I don't believe that Charlie exists is because when she's using Gerald's supercomputer to look up Charlie, she couldn't find any information on him. So yeah. I took it as that Charlie is a a figment of her own imagination, a character that she's made, and while she believes Charlie's doing the killing because she kind of like blacks out and kills everyone. So I honestly believe that Lillian is the true killer of this movie, and Gerald is innocent, but not innocent of being an asshole because he is. Yeah, that's how I read it. My my question was more just like how Charlie was that just. Is that the the personality that comes out when she becomes killer? Is uh, that just goes by Charlie, which then that that is still kind of a queer element, even though it's problematic because you have the queer killer. <laughs> but I think we uh, need to make a sequel called Edge of the Axe Two: Charlie's Revenge. Yeah, the other uh, Edge of the Axe. Yeah. The, the the other question is was was it quite literally like the Sleepaway Camp uh, situation, more so the sequels. Uh, and Charlie, the reason why she can't find anything on Charlie is because Charlie became Lillian and legally had the name change and sex change and everything, uh, which is a whole other thing that you can go into. That's why, like, the the ending of this movie is so vague that, like, it, it could be all these possibilities, and I'm not sure how to feel about that. Yeah. Can I, uh, since you, you had the Wikipedia page pulled up, so I decided to yeah. pull it up, too. I just want to point this out. Um, I love that the Wikipedia page uses the term gaslit. Um, yeah. Because while it's a term that's been around forever, I feel like it's become so prominent in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if this description was written within the last couple of years because I don't yeah. see it used very often out of context of current conversation. So I just found that to be really amusing. Yeah. That's whoever wrote this decided to use the term gaslit because it's not of, incorrect. 
yeah, yeah. Speaking of being gaslit, uh, everyone should go see uh, Invisible Man, or AKA gaslighting the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's hope, really good. I'm hopefully seeing it this weekend. So. It's uh, it's so good. I, <laughs> I I need to talk to you about it when you see it. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> so Edge of the Axe was a was was a I will say it's it was a great discovery. Um, because one, because I, I want to legitimately see as many slasher films as I can, and we're living. I don't care what anyone says. You know what everyone's saying about the death of physical media and everything. We are legitimately living in the golden age for physical media. Like oh, yes, yeah. more stuff was coming out in the early two thousands and everything, but so much stuff was getting releases and it was shitty releases. Unless it came out from Anchor Bay. If if Edge of the Axe ever came out in anything but Anchor Bay, I'm sure it looked like shit. While there's still a huge quantity yeah. of stuff coming out, stuff's coming out and looking better than ever. Like movies like Edge of the Axe, and this is coming from a horror fan, should mm-hmm. not have a restoration that looks this good. Yeah, I've seen I've seen classic films that have worse restorations than this. Uh, like honestly, I have I know no one who works at Arrow, but if any if you know if you do, tell them like they did a hell of a job with this because, damn, this movie looks good. I'm the closest person you know who. I don't even work for Arrow, but I'm probably the closest person you know, because they've they've soft, very softly become a sponsor for the show. Oh, have they? Uh, yes. Um, I'll explain more of that off air. But yeah, like okay. I've, I, I, if I, if I, if I had a way to contact them, I would tell. Like I've got an intermediate who then talks to them. Yeah, um, I, I think some of them were at the screening. I saw a few people wearing Arrow uh, video shirts when we were at the All Night Horror Marathon. Uh, so they. Obviously, and what a what a great way to try to release like to 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 advertise this film to you know because i i don't even live in california and i'm familiar with these up all night horror fests that they do Mm -hmm. um mainly because i listen to a lot of horror horror podcasts that come from california but i'm familiar with them and you know to because i believe didn't that horror that horror that marathon happened before edge of the axe came out so what a way to get people to buy your release by having seen it like yeah. you said in the best possible way you can and then release it like a month or two later yeah it's a hell of a way to market it and like what, what's cool about that that screening is they don't announce beforehand what yeah. you're watching so just like as a display so like it could be anything and that was the that's the one that they kicked it off with and so it's a good, it's a good one to kick off the the whole night. Yeah, because this movie, if it would have been in the middle of the night, would be a struggle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's definitely well, high there points, but it's a good place. It's a good place to begin with. But no, actually, Vinegar Syndrome did something very similar when when they brought out Tammy and the T Rex. They had screenings all over hell. The Oriental yeah. Theater here in Milwaukee screened the gore cut of Tammy and the T Rex. Um, yeah, it's speaking of, of uh, Golden Age of physical media like fucking tammy sorry i don't know if i can swear in here yeah you can uh, swear <laughs> tammy and the t-rex uh gets a 4k uhd release so uh, i we we're just talking about yesterday on uh chat that uh you know zombie and maniac are getting 4k from yeah. uh Blue underground uh suspiria got a 4k release from synapse and it's like if i wouldn't have just bought adult. their their you know the blu-ray release of that i would have jumped on the 4k release yeah but then even like in from the studio system from the studio system evil dead one and two got 4k releases yeah Lionsgate's been doing really well with that, which another thing though, uh, they they gotta get back to their Vestron movies. They have, it's been, it's all, been I'm, I'm assuming it's that yeah, it's been more than a year since this a year and a half since they released anything, so it's probably dead now. But 
I, I, I really enjoyed that line. I did too. And like, <laughs> they're a little expensive, but most of these things are. Um, but like, they were releasing yeah. stuff like uh, the fact that they released Parents, and I thought Parents was a really underrated little film. Um, like, you th- like, you you'd think after Maximum Overdrive, like that would have like boosted sales. I don't know. I was I was yeah, I that, wanted that, that to like... continue so badly as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have all of them. Uh, I don't. There's, there's still a couple I need to watch. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I I found some real gems there. Uh, Chopping Mall is one of them. Chopping Mall <laughs> is another film that is better than it has any right to be. Yeah, um, I, they did it this year. Uh, I, I don't know if they'll, or this last year, I don't know if they'll do it this year, but the Egyptian theater on Black Friday played Chopping Mall. That's uh, perfect. 35, 35mm had the director and the cast do a Q&A. Uh, the director really seemed to enjoy it and wanted to come back and bring his own personal uh, prints of it. But yeah, so the I had some notes on Edge of the Axe that I wanted to bring up uh the the way the uh technology works in this movie is wild i don't know if this was just something that i i I was born in 89 so obviously this movie came out september 89 Mm -hmm. so i was like a couple weeks old when this came out uh so maybe this is just the way technology worked back then, but I, I don't understand how the, they communicate with, with each other on the computer. They just like turn it on and just start typing. I don't know. I was trying to figure that out too. It's like all the, <laughs> I was trying to rationalize everything to do with um, the technology here. And granted, in the 80s, they didn't have any of this tech, so they were just kind of making it up. Uh, you know, Instant Messenger didn't really exist. But um, I just love that they had a personalized communication with each other and never had to specify who they're talking, who they're talking to. And also the fact that the computer could do anything like you could ask it any question, no matter what, and had a perfect answer for you. I just I loved it. It's like we didn't start getting stuff like that until a couple years ago when that computer was on Jeopardy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I. It's just amazing because she just like turns it on and starts typing. It's like, are you there? And it's like, he has to be on his computer. I don't know. Is it's like a it's like a cell phone like today, except it's just just there just to talk to Gerald. Like that seems like a waste. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I also love like I I I love that there's not any like notification of it being like seen. <laughs> yeah. So like she said, they were like, why are you standing me up and all this other stuff? And it's like you know maybe he's just not at his computer. <laughs> yeah, like. Like he, this is 1980. This was filmed in 87. I'm like, this is 1987. What are you doing? He, he and like, I was he's also, not ignoring you. He's probably not home. I was really hoping it was gonna, there was gonna play an aspect into the film where that, you know, the reason they can communicate to each other because they're probably the only two people in this in this state that have a computer. So I was really hoping it was going to yeah. play a factor in that something that, you know, he was messaging her back, but it wasn't actually him. And it was the killer at a computer or some shit. Like that's where I thought the movie yeah. was going that they're that would have been great. Yeah. yeah. Well, great, the whole, but also the whole, great. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the last third of the movie, it just feels like it's building up to this mystery that of like who the killer is or what, what's actually going on, but they kind of make it so obvious that they're trying to make you think it's Gerald. And 
it's just never very interesting. And the whole story about Charlie, I just don't find particularly interesting. No, I feel like it becomes interesting because of how it plays into the ending, but it's still not really that interesting. Yeah, it almost would have been better to have uh, her actually be able to communicate with or uh, Gerald on the computer. Um, Then that kind of throws a wrench in the whole, like, oh, it has to be Gerald. Yeah, I also thought the computer was going to play a bigger factor into it because, like, you know, so the computer is a big... uh, a big tie-in between the two of them. The opening credits were made to seem very futuristic and computery, and all these other that, that things. Text looked like it was made for like some like nineteen eighty. It's like text from a nineteen eighties action, yeah, uh, movie with like visuals of Twin Peaks and like musics of like from like a eighties high school sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> all these weird things, and then like um, it's the computer element just. After she finds that she can't find any information out on Charlie, I don't think they ever mention a computer for the rest of the film. Yeah. So, like, the computer was almost like a, like a rug pe- being pulled from underneath your legs type situation. Yeah, it really was. Um, but, yeah, it worked. <laughs> they, they somehow got it to work in the end. Yeah. But, yet, like, this is a movie, like, it's, it's, it's super... Also, oh, continue. Oh, when... when uh, uh, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Richard's wife, uh, Laura. Laura um, Palmer. Laura Palmer. Oh, yeah. There you go. The the Twin Peaks uh, connection again. Yeah. When she finds out she's like bankrupt and she like goes to the bar, uh, and like the mustache man. The mustache up. man. Yes. He's like starts hitting on her after she's like just sad drinking at the bar and found out she has no money. He's just like going go back to my place. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude read the room it's not a good time but it was a good time yeah she probably should have listened to him because then they probably would have gotten killed i i love like when we finally got the reveal of richard's wife because they kept going on about like how you're 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 marrying this old woman and all those other things and i was expecting like you know like betty white and but like the actress they got to play yeah. his wife uh patty shepherd is like this woman she's a little older but she's gorgeous <laughs> like i just looked it up uh patty shepherd is currently 67 years old well she's currently dead uh, uh but... page Mosley. oh okay sorry oh is it is yeah. that what happened okay she died at 67 never mind well, so okay, she'd so, be a little but, bit that older. but that was in 2013 yeah so she's yeah, not that so old she would be 74 right now. Uh, as of right now, Paige Mosley is uh, 60. So it's a 14-year difference, which that's, is about what it looks like. That That's not yeah. even that bad. Like, you know, like, if this movie would have been made today, she would have been a cougar in this film. And, like, all yeah. the young guys would have been going after her. <laughs> and honestly, that that is, like, something I kind of appreciated with this movie. It, it is a bit progressive to have the uh, older woman with the younger man. Like, that. that's something yeah. you don't see in these types of movies it's usually uh i feel like my wife commented on that too gross older man yeah yeah it it, it was kind of refreshing to see that i think yeah Um, actually funny enough i noticed that um different time period different movie altogether i noticed that yesterday me and amanda were watching casino royale because we're trying to catch up on all the bond films before the movie comes well the new bond films um and well uh, now you have plenty of time to do that yeah 
uh, and Judy Judy Dench plays M, correct? Am I getting the name right, Judy Dench? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So M, like at one point, she she picks up the call because they're telling her that Bond did something stupid, and she picks up the she wakes up in the middle of the night, and they never comment on it, but she wakes up next to like a strapping young buck. I never noticed that. Like she like there's just a <laughs> a naked man in bed who's like ripped, and you know wow. she's not a bad looking woman, but she's definitely. A bit older in that movie and it's she's, never yeah, commented on wow good for her yeah good for, good for dame judy jen that yeah. she, can, she can still get it yeah uh however old she is 70 something yeah so i, I saw that and i was like fuck <laughs> oh, yeah <man>. em so unre- <laughs> unre- unre- I, yeah it's it's not super related but i wanted to bring that up yeah but before the new one comes out i was planning on doing this in april now it's gonna have to be uh november but I, i'm gonna watch all the uh daniel craig bond movies yeah and that's the, what we're doing the, the sean connery ones which i've only seen one or two of them yeah I, i'm not a huge uh bond fan and so i've only seen a i've seen the pierce brosnan ones and i've seen the daniel craig ones uh and then i've seen like two or three that before I think uh, well, it has nothing to do with Edge of the Axe, but I think it's smart going back and starting at Dr. No. Watching Dr. No from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, if you can watch those three and you're still not a fan, you're not a, you won't be a Bond fan. Like Maybe you'll like the newer ones because they're a little more action-packed, but if you watch those three and you're not a fan of like the style of the old Bond films, I don't think anything mm-hmm. ever will make you because those are like kind of a perfect trifecta of movies but unimportant yeah i have seen goldfinger and yeah i i think a lot of the uh I, I love the aesthetic of it and the kind of campy element to it but yeah i think sometimes at least last time i tried watching it was a little difficult with uh, the casual sort of sexism that's in yeah. the franchise but you know maybe I, I can put that aside and, and watch it for you know this is a movie of a certain era that was different than where we currently here's here's a fun fact here's a fun fact for everyone listening about goldfinger um alfred hitchcock's when he was alive saw every movie that was in the theater just because what else is he gonna do yeah and he was friends with terrence young who directed Mm -hmm. that film and had seen gold watched goldfinger and had dinner with terrence young afterwards and terrence young asked him is like so i need to ask what did you think Oh, sorry, Guy Hamilton. Terrence Young directed some of the other films. Guy Hamilton, my mistake. Uh, and Guy Hamilton mm-hmm. asked uh, um, Hitchcock, like, so what did you think of the movie? And he thought, I, he said, I thought it was completely rubbish. However, <laughs> there is a moment in that movie that is one of the best things I've ever seen, and I wish I, would, I could steal it. And there's a point <laughs> in Goldfinger where uh, when Bond's escaping one of the many places he escapes from, and he 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 he's rushing through the gate, and the old woman picks up the machine gun and starts shooting at him. He's like, "That was the best reveal I've ever seen, and I wish I could steal it." <laughs> yeah, that, that is pretty great. <laughs> so I, I try to tell that story whenever I can. Only I heard that story on the commentary with Guy Hamilton because yeah, his commentary was great on that movie. But yeah, yeah. So was there anything else you wanted to talk about Edge of the Axe or you know Goldfinger? <laughs> uh no it it, for edge of the axe i i think i have a we talked about like i was we both have a soft spot for slasher films especially at least for me the the friday the 13th franchises oh 100 percent. i would never defend it as being the best slasher franchise but it is my personal favorite one i would say that the the uh nightmare on elm street series is probably the objectively best one like overall yes 
And Friday the 13th is, is kind of, it, it's more of a personal thing why I like it so much. Uh, but especially if you're a fan of like that type of slasher that inspired so many slasher films afterwards. Uh, I think this is a really interesting one. It, it has its own flair to it that yeah. even if you don't like it, I think it'll kind of stay with you. I'm, I completely agree with you. I'm actually in the same camp as you. Well, you know, I, Halloween is my favorite movie of all time. I do think, of, I think, like, for me, Friday the 13th is my favorite of those franchises. Though I think Halloween is the most interesting. Just Halloween me. gets wild very it, quickly. It does, and the fact that there's so many, very much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Every sequel of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is fascinating because it's each sequel ignores the film that came before it and is a sequel to the original film. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find fascinating about the Halloween franchise is there's multiple different timelines. Yeah, it, it so, is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. You know, you yeah, it, it definitely is. And I, I, one year I wanted to like just go because usually when I rewatch the Halloween franchise, I'll either watch the first one or I'll watch all of them. One year I just want to like pick one of those adventures. So like you can yeah. do one, two, four, five. You can just do yeah. one and two. You can do yeah. one. Halloween 2018, you can do 1, 2, H2O, and Resurrection. You can just do the yeah. first one. Like, there's there's multiple different ways. It, it definitely yeah, is a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's also weird, too, because if, if you kind of go down these rabbit holes of just kind of following the timeline, you know, specific timelines, like, Halloween Resurrection is a way better Halloween sequel than it gets credit for because the director is actually trying to recreate the aesthetics of the first film. Mm. Whereas like, uh, It's been a long time since I've seen that one. Like, he's the only person since the original film to actually, uh, first two films to actually build a house that looks like the, the Myers house. Yeah. Halloween Resurrection was the first Halloween film I saw in theaters. I was far too young to... Well, actually, no. I probably... I was 13. But I saw it in theaters. Uh, so th- th- that one kind of holds a special place because it was the first one I got to actually... I, actually I also think that, that that plot line of, you know, live streaming horror was ridiculed at the time would go over so well now. <laughs> Yeah, I think that works fine. Uh, it almost seems kind of similar to what the failed uh, Friday the Thirteenth sequel was going to be. Yeah, the, uh, the the sequel to um, the two thousand nine Friday the Thirteenth was supposed to be a phone footage film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which could kind of work, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for franchises like those, I'm like, I'm fine with them experimenting and trying new things. Yeah. Why I'm, not? Honestly, like I I one time said in film school, and I got and. Um, Jeff Kerr's our screenwriting teacher kind of rolled his eyes at me because he actually worked for Dimension. He worked. Oh, really? <laughs> he worked on uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, and wow. he used to tell he used to tell me like horror stories of like they woke up on the first day of shooting and there was snow everywhere, so they had to go up and melt the snow. <laughs> and uh, he was one of the producer, line producers, or something like that. And I, he one time he, he, we were just shooting the shit one time, and I told him I was like honestly. A dream project of mine was if I could get like the thirteenth sequel into a movie. He's like, why the? Yeah. F-? He's like, why the fuck would you want that? And he's like, because everyone else painted you into a corner, and you have to get really weird to get yourself out of that corner. Yeah, <laughs> I'd probably yeah, hate yeah. it in the moment. 
Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be such a fun like if you, if you had to do the next Friday the third uh, Friday the Thirteenth film and it's a sequel to the previous films and you have to acknowledge all the films that came before. What the fuck do you do? Yeah, I mean it has to be set in between uh, part or sorry, Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X. Probably that probably be the place where you but at the same time like, fill in that gap. At the same time, it doesn't need to be like imagine if you had to do a sequel to Jason X. The end of the movie it, it shows him you know, shooting down back to Earth. <laughs> What's Earth like at this time? Or you say he Earth missed too, Earth and, you know, he hits yeah. the moon or something or Mars and it's Ghost of Mars too as well. Who knows? <laughs> Jason meets yeah. Ghost of Mars. That would be terrible. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I'm seeing uh, Jason X at uh, New Rev. Tonight? Uh, next or this coming friday that's their friday the 13th movie that they're playing every time i see i watch that movie i want to like it more than i do because i love i love the screenwriter i think he's such a sweet guy he has really cool ideas i've Mm -hmm. uh but he just never has the budget to really like you know drive angry could have been a great film Um, uh my bloody valentine 3d i actually really like um jason x could have been a great film i read his original script for it and it was very much alien but instead of an alien it's jason but because of budget restraints he couldn't make that film i wish we could have gotten like the proper jason x yeah i think they've done it i think they've done his script in comic books but i've not been able to track any of them down okay yeah i I love that one i I think it's uh it gets more hate than it deserves i think i completely it's fun i have fun with that one but um, I, I've got to start wrapping yeah. up because I got to get to work. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about slasher related? We got about ten minutes before I got to go. Uh, what's uh, aside from like the Friday Thirteenth franchise? Like, is are there any other slasher films that this kind of reminds you of? Or, um, um, yes, this de- definitely has a very like obvious Euro- European sensibilities. A Spanish production. There's times in this movie it kind of reminds me of. Uh, uh, Cemetery Man, Del Morte, Del More. Which I have not seen. Um, not very overtly. There's a few shots in here that it kind of. I know that's an Italian film, this is a Spanish film, but there are certain like sensibilities of the director behind the scenes that feel similar to me. But uh, aesthetic wise, they're completely different films. Um, so the film you should watch that one okay the film that this reminds me of is actually a movie i reviewed for vinegar syndrome about maybe it was last year definitely um it's another spanish horror film called the corruption of chris miller is what this reminds me of and part of it is because it is a you know spanish horror film but that's not exclusively Mm -hmm. the reason why um just um aesthetically just the way that they're shot and the way that they handle action and handle mm-hmm. kills i think are very similar and they have a kind of similar looking killer the killer and corruption of chris miller wears a rain jacket and dark glasses and has like a sickle um oh. and has just kind of a shiny look very much like the killer does in this film um corruption of chris yeah. miller was directed by juan antonio bardem uh it actually stars gene seberg uh and hmm. Uh, Barry Stokes, did you ever end up buying that movie I told you about from Vinegar Syndrome called Prey? I did. Yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. Barry Stokes was the lead character in Prey. So it stars the lead actress from Breathless and the lead character from Prey. Wow. Prey, that's another good one. Uh, Prey's excellent. I think Edge of the Axe is a better slasher film, but... Mm -hmm. 
corruption of Chris Miller is very much like Giallo-esque and also kind of like a thriller. Um, mm-hmm. And it has a character who dresses like, up like um, Charlie Chaplin at one point and kills people. So it's like, it's very, <laughs> it's very intentionally weird. Yeah. I think you'd yeah. appreciate it. So. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. If it's anything like Prey, I, that movie is excellent. I'm trying to get people to watch it. I'm glad. Like um, I remember what we were talking. It was on our the last episode we did together, this Water High episode. I was telling you about Prey, and you bought it yeah. while we were talking. <laughs> yeah, I literally <laughs> had vinegar syndrome so I side up and bought it. Prey. Uh, which now I have quite a few vinegar syndrome releases. I, I think uh, I've had a couple people tell me that that they'd never even heard of the company before me, and now that now they are like faithfuls to them. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just recently bought Extra Three. Uh, I got Christmas Evil, uh, Tammy and the T Rex, um, uh, Dolomite, uh, a bunch of a bunch of stuff. So yeah. there's another triple feature that I went to that had it was a Clue Gulliger triple feature oh, I and, love clue and we, we unfortunately couldn't stay for the third it was on a, a work night so by the time the third movie was playing it was already like close to midnight was um, uninvited one of those movies that was the third one uh, <laughs> you didn't miss a so lot. I, I didn't get to see them at uh, yeah but i got the uh, the vinegar syndrome blu-ray of it and watch it as like yeah this is pretty much what i expected it was gonna be <laughs> yeah but um, they did they, the first movie was uh uh I think it was Return of the Living Dead. Perfect. And then, um, uh, Friday Part 2? Or Nightmare Part 2? Yeah, yeah, Nightmare Part 2, yeah. Perfect, perfect. So, it, it was a pretty good triple feature. Yeah, you can't go wrong and with he, that. he's in the audience, too. Clues yeah, there. apparently he has his own chair there. Like, he's got his own <laughs> spot. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's a specific chair. I, I've heard all these stories just through listening to podcasts, and I know uh, a couple people who work there, or at least one person who works there. Uh, yeah. Her name is Julie. I don't know her very well, but I just I, I saw her movie. She made a movie about the new Beverly, and oh, then really? we became a little friendly from that. Um, I don't think she'd know who I am if you brought me up, but we talk on Twitter and stuff. Uh, but uh, she, uh, I've seen pictures that they've posted that since Clue and the new new Beverly first opened, he came like every day and had one specific spot he liked to see, sit in, so they put a plaque on it. <laughs> So I, I think that's the one spot you it, can't buy a ticket to sit in because it's his. It, it makes uh, a lot of sense because when, when you go in there, there's a lot of seats that say reserved on yep. them, and so and, and they're always like that. So that they probably just keep those seats always empty just in case. Yeah, I feel like if you're a regular, you get your you get your own seat. But uh, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> the, the, for everyone listening, there's a couple extra suggestions for you. You know, uh, Cemetery Man. Corruption of Chris Miller. It has nothing to do with the aesthetic of Edge of the Axe, but definitely check out Prey. Uh, because I'm trying to prove a friend of mine wrong. My uh, A friend of mine named Ron Pretty said Prey was one of the worst films he ever saw, and I think it's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I I, uh, I don't think I have anything else to say about this one. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun little film that I think if you're a fan of the genre, you should check out. I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, and on that, um, Nico, are you are you on any social medias you want people following you at or no? Eh, no. All right. Well, <laughs> nothing, can, nothing to plug right now. You can you can find me everywhere. You know, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, Michael underscore virus. Pretty much universally where I'm at. You can go into our Instagram page, which I don't update enough. Uh, at Shameless Picture Show. Um, I put all my good stuff on my own profile. <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. I'm terrible plugging myself. It's it's the reason we recorded an outro that is all of our Patreon information, just because I'm terrible at remembering to do that. But yes, donate yeah. to Patreon as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Um, all right. Thank well, you cool. for talking. That was a great talk about this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Viers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Villani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.